We've been moving around a little bit this morning. We've been down and across the railroad tracks. Um, right now we're pretty close to the highway. You can hear some of the background noise. And we've been walking between a couple of um, encampments, one with primarily tents that's actually going to be swept tomorrow. So it's been really rainy the past few days, so it's still pretty wet. Um, over by the tents, there's a lot of deep puddles. Looks like a lot of the tents got very wet. I've learned to, you know, what you see is not always what it is. I mean, you could see somebody digging through the trash and you think that that's gross, but you know what? I mean, how are they going to live? You've got to live somehow, you know? Think about the way the world is and the way that the world could be. All of our systems are interrelated and interdependent. There's a thousand different voices that nobody hears. We're looking at a human being, and there's life story. 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 Connection to the people we don't know that live near us. An Elevated Denver starts now. Welcome back to the Elevated Denver podcast, where we're bringing key topics and stories about homelessness to light. We're excited for today's episode on trash. We will hear from those directly impacted, residents of homeless encampments, as well as local experts and others who are directly involved in supporting these individuals. We will bring you data, context, and will highlight solutions. I'm here with Leanne, Jana, and Myra. Throughout the episode, you will hear Jana and Myra asking our guests questions and Leanne tying some threads together through the narration. I think you'll enjoy it, so stay with us. This episode is being brought to you by Elevation Community Land Trust. Thank you for your support. Before we start, we want to let you know that we went through an informed consent process with everyone we interviewed, and before airing each of these episodes, we sent the recording to the interviewees to make sure that they were still comfortable with us sharing their story. I want to acknowledge that parts may be triggering for some listeners. If so, please take care. For our unhoused neighbors, trash is often synonymous with life in encampments. We have interviewed over 35 unhoused individuals, both for the podcast and for our upcoming landscape, which we'll talk about more later, and many people have mentioned trash. We have talked about how unhoused folks have had to live next to piles of trash on the street, and over and over again, those individuals have told us how they feel the people walking and driving by look at them, like they are trash as well. We wanted to take a deeper dive into this topic and really explore what happens if we treat people the same way we treat trash, as an eyesore that should go away. We talked to folks currently living in encampments, those working to support these folks, and also sweeps, where we, as a city, are sweeping the humans away with the trash. And I can see... I can see why people hate that over there, you know, on 6th Avenue. And, but then the other thing is there's nowhere for people to put their trash. There's nowhere, you know, we can put it down at the end of the street and it will sit there for days and days and days and no one will pick it up. 
So, okay, what's the use of putting it out there when you don't have to carry it, you can just throw it across the tracks. Well, I mean, look at that, you know, uh, and not knowing what it's like to be out there. Um, I see why people complain about it. I mean, it really, it's, it's, I live in it and I, I can't stand it. No one wants to be surrounded by trash. Studies show living around litter can increase rates of depression and greening up areas can improve mental health. So why are we not supporting trash receptacles and pick up at encampments? Why do we let it build up and then sweep it away with the people who have made their homes there? We visited some encampments to learn more about the conditions and why people are living there. Here's Jana. We've been moving around a little bit this morning. We've been down and across the railroad tracks. Um, right now we're pretty close to the highway. You can hear some of the background noise. And we've been walking between a couple of um, encampments, one with primarily tents that's actually going to be swept tomorrow. So folks are in the process of, of getting ready to move out. Um, and then the other is a mixture of tents and um, cars and, and mobile homes. Um, so we're just moving around talking to some folks that we previously connected to and just hearing a little bit more about um, what life is like in the encampments and, and what's coming next for folks. So it's been really rainy the past few days, so it's still pretty wet. Um, over by the tents, there's a lot of deep puddles. Looks like a lot of the tents got very wet. We have probably about eight or nine tents and four or five um, sort of mobile units. Folks have a lot of stuff outside of their mobile units too, some bikes, um, clotheslines, definitely a lot of trash in both places. Um, that people are trying to kind of maintain, but there's not receptacles for those, and just a lot of personal items. We were introduced to Paula and Rodney through outreach workers who visit them and others in encampments across the city each week. Paula lives in the encampment with her dog, and she and Rodney have been neighbors for some time. When we met them, Paula was freshly showered, hairstyled, and wearing light makeup. She looked like someone you might run into at a local coffee shop in the morning. Rodney looked a bit worn down and at first was quiet and scrunched down on the bench where we talked. But soon he became bright and animated with his endless positivity showing through. We talked with Paula and Rodney about what life is like in the encampment and how trash plays an almost daily role in their lives. Well, what is positive about being in an encampment? I've met a lot of nice people. And you have to know who to let in your circle and who not to. It's, it's real life, just like you would be in the suburban areas, you know. The rules really well, don't change too much. You come into an encampment and you're kind of naive a little bit about it. And then you start to get the, the real just like... Um, you got to be on your guard all the time about who you trust and who you don't trust but you do meet a lot of nice people. So do you t kind of choose where you're gonna stay based on who's there, or do you just go kind of where, on where it's convenient and open and available? I would say a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean. You, know, you wanna stick around with the good people that you know. People, you guys help each other, watch each other's stuff, help out with food and whatnot. And you, you find a place that you're gonna go. There's the same issues that go on out here than there. 
And so it's not, we're, we're not so separate from each other, you know? The, the problems that we have are not so different, you know? The struggle is real still. People just want to be treated with respect. They want to be loved, helped. And when they find that, they see people doing that who, who can laugh a little bit, they're drawn to that. And I, I see a lot of people that move with this when we have to move. They're, they come for a reason. They, they like where they're at. There's peace there, there's goodness, you know. There's somebody who knows how to cook. You know, I see it as a community. My neighbor, that's my neighbor right there, you know. And, you know, wherever I'm at, I have an obligation to my neighbor. Now, if they don't want none of what I offer, that's totally up to them. But it's my obligation to offer that as a human. You know, help out any way I can. We learned that part of why people are staying in encampments is because of the lack of shelter options, particularly options that allow for communities or couples to stay together, or like Paula, who have their dogs. And sometimes it's simply that people don't feel safe. We know Denver has worked to expand the shelter system in the past few years by purchasing and renovating motels. But we also understand the need outweighs the available options. Here's Britta Fisher, current president and CEO of the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, and former head of the Office of Housing Stability for the city of Denver. She talked to us about the city's efforts to shelter the unhoused. When we go to experiences of homelessness, we have both sheltered and unsheltered. Sheltered is about 75% of those experiencing homelessness here in Denver. We've had robust expense and investment in sheltering here in the Denver metro area. So that could be a wide variety of shelters. That includes your congregate shelters, which are like big rooms with cots in them. And what most people typically think of as the shelter experience it could be bunks, it could be cots, it could be some kind of congregate big sleeping room. Another portion that has grown exponentially during COVID is non-congregate shelter. And so that is your own unit or maybe shared with maybe one other person, pretty small um, sleeping quarters, sometimes a hotel room, but it could be other areas that are segmented for shelter use. Then within shelter, we also have shelter alternates. So this is things like tiny homes, safe outdoor spaces with the tents or the pilot shelters. These are things that are not actually an indoor living space, but they are um, a shelter alternate for providing more autonomy, uh, more access to hygiene, but it may be in more of an outdoor setting. And then we have unsheltered homelessness, which again takes various forms. Uh, some of it is folks in tents and in structures of their own creation. Uh, a big portion right now in Denver and a growing portion has been living in vehicles. And then we have folks who are simply without any shelter, any structure, this is somebody with a, a sleeping bag or a blanket or a tarp on the street. According to the 2022 point-in-time data, the Metro Denver Homeless Initiative counted over 4,700 individuals experiencing homelessness on any given night, which they qualify as likely much lower than the actual number. 
Even if that number is accurate, that means there are about two people for every available shelter bed in Denver. Here's Britta again. So here in Denver, we have about 2,200 beds of walk-up shelter that are utilized on any night. Now, there are other parts of shelter that include a little higher barrier shelter or by invite only. Um, There are more shelter beds than that. And I think that's important for the public to understand that there's more like 3,000 some beds in Denver, which is in fact about half of the shelter in the state of Colorado. We have a generous community for providing shelter and in a 24-7 way and so forth. But I don't know how wise it is to spend our dollars on creating more shelter in a way that people don't want to access it. We can't shelter our way out of the problem. We have expanded shelter to meet life-saving needs as possible. And yes, we should have culturally competent shelter that is delivering um, as best as we can on the sheltering need in Denver We'll be right back. This podcast is being brought to you by sponsors who believe in shedding more light on the issue of homelessness in our community. There's still room for season sponsors, and this space can be used to highlight the great work your organization is doing and your commitment to our community. That's good for you, and it's good for us because your sponsorship will support this work and help us get it out to more people. If you want the details, email us at sponsorship at elevateddenver.co. Now, back to the show. As we've noted, people seeking shelter are left without a lot of options, and some convene in encampments to support one another, have community, and safety. So what does trash have to do with this? Well, when sweeps or cleanups happen... People are displaced, along with the trash. In 2012, Denver voters supported the urban camping ban policy and reaffirmed the policy in 2021. But where do we expect people will go once they are swept? How is this process any more humane than how we treat a piece of trash? We talked to Jorge, a homeowner in a prominent downtown building. I think that Sweeps needs to be part of that solution. We all have rights. We all pay taxes. We all demanding certain services and a sense of security from the city. And when those are encroached, that creates angst. That has implication not only at the personal level, but also in terms of we are in the process, a process of retirement. We made an, We are vested in Denver. We want to make sure that the city thrives. We want to make sure that the, 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 the limited resources that all cities have are used the right way. We're dumping a lot of money into these things, but do we have solutions? And we, we have to have consequences too, right? And we cannot hide either behind compassion. Compassion, we all have to have, but allowing the encampment to continue in these abject conditions is not compassionate. A sweep starts with putting up fencing, the tents and folks in the encampments on one side and anyone there to help or support on the other. 
along with the rest of the public. Before you know it, the encampment looks like it's been enclosed in a trash bin. We attended a sweep to observe the process. They got all this fencing to keep us out and keep them in. It's so intimidating. And they'll come around with their garbage truck and they have a bobcat and they just come around and surround one tent to tell them, you know, like, intimidate them. And so a lot of times they'll take people's stuff. Yeah, you turn your back and your stuff that you just packed up is like being trashed. That was Viria, a Buddhist nun who co-founded Mutual Aid Monday. And for the past two and a half years, she, or someone on her small volunteer team, has attended nearly every sweep in Denver and has served meals to the unhoused every Monday. Here, Viria and Mutual Aid Monday volunteers talk about what happens at sweeps. We were going to three sweeps a week and, and then some unannounced sweeps. It would be hundreds of sweeps that we've gone to. Typically, for an announced sweep, we call it traumatic displacement, which is what it is. And we do have evidence now from respected researchers that talk about how those being regularly forcibly displaced is the equivalent of going through a natural disaster. They typically start at 5.30 in the morning, so it will usually will be dark out. And it starts by the fencing people first. They come and put up these fences and, you know, fence these people in like animals. And that's the zone we're not allowed to, to go in there. And they usually have an opening on one end, which is where they can exit the, the area. And then there's varying degrees of pressure that they apply on them to hurry it up and get their stuff together and, they, you know, kind of towering over them and menacing them and even, you know, definitely threatening to take their stuff um, or actually taking their stuff. Anybody listening might be, why don't they move ahead of the sweep? Mm-hmm. They are out there just trying to stay alive day by day. And everything is really stressful. And it is human nature to wait until you actually get pushed to do something. So they lose a lot of their things. If they're lucky, they have a maybe a shopping cart or some other type of a wheeled transportation. Some are better organized than others. A lot of them have been through this countless, countless times. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're hungry, they're stressed out to the max, and they're just being cowered over by these city employees and, and police and getting their stuff together as best they can. And they'll hopefully take what's most valuable to them and then, you know, just leave behind what they can't take. And where do they go? Oftentimes, we do not know. We do not know. It will take a couple weeks maybe for things to, people get dispersed and then maybe congregate again somewhere else. And too often, they just end up being bounced around between the same sites over and over again. And they do have that overhanging feeling of being trash. They get moved around as trash. They get yelled at by the police, by neighbors, and, I mean, horrible things. So just imagine having that hanging over you all the time. Back to Paula and Rodney, who we'll hear from throughout the rest of the episode. You've been involved in several sweeps. Can you just tell us a little bit more so people can hear a little bit about what that is like. What does it feel like when you get that notice and and what is it like day of? You get the notice and you're just like, dang, and you have to start thinking about what you're going to do. And you might have seven days, but that seven days is all you're doing is thinking about where you're going to go. And um, the sweep, the first one I ever had, it came during the night. And I mean, we had 
you have you have enough time to get your stuff out of there, but then you don't know where you're gonna go, and all of a sudden you see these people coming in and they're putting gates around you, and um, there's police around you, and it's not. All of a sudden, you just get this panic feeling, and you forget what you're supposed to be doing. It's like I got to get this. I forgot this, and it's um, it's not a lot of fun, that's for sure. And after your first one, you're kind of like, okay. I mean, I guess they get easier, but the first time you go through one, you're just like, oh my. I mean, it's almost like you're being just you, these lights. It's dark, um, and these people are just coming in, and it's not a lot of fun. That's for sure. I kind mean, of feel like you're in trouble. Yeah. You know, you know I mean... I mean, you know. you're living on <clears throat> on property you're not supposed to be on, and you know that, but there's there's nowhere else to go, you know? So where do you go? You probably go to the last place that you moved from, and you know that you're going to get... You know you're going to get sweeped again, or they'll catch you before you get your stuff out. Between January 2019 and June 2022 the city spent over $13.6 million on encampment-related expenses, according to the Denver Auditor. But that is likely low, since it didn't include the police department and some agencies. In fact, the audit report notes that the city did not adequately track expenses and data related to the encampment response, which means the auditor could not assess the effectiveness of the city's efforts. Here we are back at a sweep. So we see three DPS security folks, at least three Denver police, um, and uh, probably six contractors with Denver's uh, infrastructure and transportation department who put up the fencing. Um, and some of those folks then um, tell the those in staying here, the unhoused, they um, basically sort of knock on their tents and tell them they need to be out by 7.30. Um, so there are a lot of people on the Denver payroll here waiting for an encampment of probably, you know, a total of eight tents, eight to ten tents total. A lot of waiting around, a lot of hanging out and watching. We don't really stay in a place too long. Come service, got to move within the time they, you know, give us a lot of it. And it's been like that for a long time now, because of the sweeps. Um, it's not because we don't want to be there, it's because we have to leave. You know, a person doesn't want to get in trouble with the law or anything. You know, you got to abide. And, you know, they tell you to move, you got to move. Which is, you know, it's, it's part of the gig. But uh, it just gets old after a while. But, you know, finding somewhere stable to live for a long period of time has only happened to me one time, where I didn't have to move for, like, six months. And it was nice. What was that situation? Just, they didn't come bother us. You were able to stay in, yeah. your, t- in your tent? Yeah, we were there on the grounds where we were at, and, you know, all you do, pick up your trash, clean up after yourself, take care of yourself, and it's a little bit more human, you know, instead of having to just be packing up all the time. 
Back to Jorge, who lives downtown, reflecting on the sweeps and his feeling that they aren't the solution, but also the need to do something. No one has really have a coordinated response because what happened is they sweep, they clean, and they pop up someplace else. Uh, and, and, and what I have seen is they do a clean up in area A, but immediately it surfaces on the other street, and then you move from one to one to the other. So the issue is, uh, it is when conditions are in, 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 in such a way that becomes a, a public menace, where public safety or health safety and stuff and stuff like needs to be addressed, because it also it also affects financially everybody that contributes to the taxes that provide the, the solutions. While we at Elevated Denver are working on holistic solutions, there are groups like Mutual Aid Monday and Headwaters Protectors who are out there picking up the trash, serving meals, and showing up to help folks get their things together and move with a level of dignity. The main thing we do, I mean, we do provide um, some coffee, food, support, you know, whatever, but is to document what is going on. When we um, show up at sweeps, things usually are a little calmer. You know, they don't, they, they know we're filming. They know when they violate. And so if we're filming them, they'll back off a bit and go have their social hour. So we, we have to be there to document. I try to bring to that community when I am at a sweep is, is a sense of calmness and centeredness and, and helping them think through what's most important for them to grab in that moment. What do they need for survival that night based on weather conditions, based on how much they can carry and actually move. And then I get in there and help them start moving it, it when I'm allowed to. According to Headwaters Protectors co-founder Ian Thomas Tafoya, Headwaters provides compassionate water and trash services for people experiencing homelessness in Denver. They believe that access to sanitation is a human right and creates equity between those that have housing and those that don't. Water access has far-reaching public health implications and also protects the water quality downstream. These groups are just a couple of examples of how the Denver community can band together to help the unhoused. As Britta Fisher says, When we talk about Denver as a community, again, I think our strength is the people. I think it is the collaborative nature of this community in addressing housing instability and homelessness. I think it is also uh, caring professionals. I think we have some fantastic outreach. We have really wonderful people dedicated to this work. There are people in crisis every day, and they need our support and help. And that's what we do as friends and neighbors and family members, is we support people through those things. And by far, the number one thing that helps people stay out of the shelters, out of the streets, is that relationship. If people could just help one another out for a bit, that would be good. You know, we are all human in this together. For people like Paula and Rodney, the efforts of some to help clean up trash around encampments is a reminder that a better life is on the horizon. I'm very thankful and grateful for everything that I go through because I take that and I'll utilize that and use it, good or bad, 
to further my my joy in life, you know, to help my neighbor to have fun for the day. I all I got is today. So we make the most of it. For the most part, it's okay. You know, and this being homeless, it's just a, a part of my life that I am dealing with. I just want to say thank you to all the people who are involved in helping homeless people, whether it's financially, whether it's materials, whether it's with food, or just a simple hello, how you doing? Those people who care that we don't see up around people, a lot of people in the background, you know, organizations that reach out to people. I just want to say thank you for that. If we can just let them know that they are valuable just as they are right now, perfect, and, um, and, and go from there, and no judgment. Everyone deserves to be treated with respect and dignity, and nobody is better than anyone else, period. If you want to get involved with one of the organizations you heard about today, Mutual Aid Monday serves meals every Monday evening at 14th and Bannock between 4 and 7 p.m. All are welcome to join and hand out meals and meet some of your unhoused neighbors. For Headwaters Protectors, you can follow them on social media at Headwaters Protectors or visit them online at headwatersprotectors.org. Thanks for joining us today. And thank you to all of our interviewees for taking the time to talk with us and to share your experiences and perspectives. If you liked today's episode, consider giving us a good rating and help others find us by sharing the show with your network. If you want to keep these episodes coming, visit elevateddenver.co slash donate, where we will put your donation to good use. And to dig in more on the issue, check out the show notes and additional information at elevateddenver.co slash resources. And thank you again to our episode sponsor, Elevation Community Land Trust, making home ownership more accessible for Colorado families through the Community Land Trust model, a proven tool for creating and preserving accessible, inclusive communities for generations. Tune in next time for the first of our two-part series on people you would never imagine were unhoused. Have you experienced any housing instability or you want to tell me a little bit about um, going to school and, and your housing? Yes, I lived in and out of my car for two years. I would stay with friends here and there, but mostly it was out of my car when I started school in 2020. So, How did that feel? How did that feel? Humbling. Um, yeah, I don't know what else. A little scared sometimes. Oh, and what prompted you to be living in your car? Oh, I was in a moldy apartment, and it made me sick, and um, I couldn't work, and um, it's expensive to live, so I had to just do what I had to do. The Elevated Denver Podcast is produced by Leanne Morrison, Myra Nagy, and Jonna Flood. Editing, sound design, and music are composed and provided by Jesse Boynton. Recording and production provided by House of Pod. If you found this episode interesting and would like to learn more about our work, please visit us at elevateddenver.co. 
And don't forget to let others in the community know about this podcast. It's going to take all of us to build an elevated Denver.